People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast from the OU Insider Studios. Here's your host, Brandon Drum. With Oklahoma and Kansas State, and I have... Tim Fitzgerald, the publisher for GoPowerCat.com. I have the recruiting editor in Ryan Wallace from GoPowerCat.com. And I also have uh, Colin Kennedy, our assistant lead team recruiting and assistant lead and team recruiting analyst um, and myself, uh, the lead team and recruiting analyst for OUinsider.com. Uh, all here. And it, this is going to be fun because this game – may or may not have happened as it was supposed to happen uh it was crazy a lot of back and forth i know ryan and i were talking back and forth all week like what are you hearing we we hit up some people it was it was crazy and i'm i, I know tim being the team guy he is was jumping through hoops trying to figure out who was out who i mean it's it's hard during covid to know who was really in and who was really out but can you guys and I, tim we can start with you can you guys walk us through this process that y'all went through this week because we went through it two weeks ago before the Missouri State game because uh, Thursday it was a it was a it was a, it was a coin flip they didn't know whether they were going to play or not and all of a sudden things came back better than they thought and the game was on uh, that was quietly that was happening behind the scenes uh, for you guys it was more public uh, can you guys kind of walk us through how you guys dealt with it on GoPowerCat.com and just kind of the state of the program right now with the contact tracing and COVID. Well, thanks for having us on. Uh, yeah, last time out, Kansas State almost ran out of wide receivers and almost had to declare a no contest. I think that's what the Big 12 calls it. They ended up with three of their top guys that went, played a lot of snaps. <clears throat> they had to use some tight ends out there, some running backs out there on occasion. Uh, but you'll see that from this offense anyhow, so that wasn't anything really crippling. We're not really sure what the, the position group is that they were so close on this week. I, I suspect it was defensive line. They're getting back some of their defensive backs uh, that uh, really caused problems for them last week being short. When you have a one of your safeties decide to opt out of the season and then another safety – end up um, missing the first game for contact tracing and you end up on a third stringer that is a converted quarterback converted receiver that just moved to safety uh, it was a long day for Ryan Hennington and it was really unfair to him uh, what you know kind of get thrown in but that's just the nature of what's going to happen here you're going to have third stringers that get called into duty um, and Bluntly put, K-State's recruiting hasn't been to the level where you can get to the third string. Oh, Ryan, you can add to this. Getting to the second string sometimes is painful for this program right now because they had a good two or three years as, as Snyder was winding down where <clears throat> they just didn't bring in enough quality players, and we're seeing that at offensive tackle 
in particular, but there's some other spots that are dreadfully thin. And now with injuries, COVID, and mostly with this team, contact tracing. Um, do you know where your girlfriend's been? Because if she's been around <laughs> infected people, you're not playing Saturday. Um, it's just a mess. And we don't know who's what. We don't know who's injured, who's got COVID, and who's just sitting out because they were around the wrong person who made bad decisions. Uh, and let me tell you, I would have never played in college if I had to sit out for being around people that made bad decisions because uh, that would have been uh, a lot of people in my circle. So yep. this is really a chaotic season. And the phrase I keep using is, it is what it is. You're just going to have to get through the season. You'll see guys playing that probably shouldn't play. And at the end of the day, they'll all get experience, be better off for it next year when they can return as freshmen, sophomores, or whatever they are. Yeah, I think I'll echo um, just a little bit about what Fitz was saying to the extent of depth and the depth issues that K-State has, has obviously been dealing with for a couple of years now. And it goes back to Bill Snyder's last few seasons um, recruiting. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the second string guys are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. Um, and so they're already lacking experience. I mean, you'd kind of expect that from your second and third stringers anyhow, but you don't have these red shirt, you know, junior kids or red shirt sophomores that you're typically seeing on, on most other programs as you're, you're too deep. It's a lot of red shirt freshmen or true freshmen that Chris Kleiman has brought in to just try and invigorate some sort of, you know, athleticism to certain spots. But overall, from what I've heard anyway, um, they've, they've had to experiment a little bit with, you know, moving guys around to positions that they're not typically playing but for the most part Brandon uh, luckily for K-State it's not like they've had to rotate like a defensive end to an offensive tackle you know just for a practice or something I mean it, it hasn't gotten that dire yet um, but you'd have to imagine I mean it's just hard to practice to the level that Chris Kleiman or Lincoln Riley any head coach would want to practice to when you just got guys that you know you're either they're either meant to be practice team guys that are having to step up or you know, they're just guys that really aren't playing the position that they should be. So uh, I guess you guys talk about, you, you brought up defensive back as an issue last week and potentially you, you say they're coming back, but you've also had some injuries on the defensive back with K-State. Um, can you guys kind of walk through, uh, we can start with you, Ryan. Um, the, is it, is it that bad with just, I guess, Wayne Jones is out. Um, and did he tear his ACL? Is that what happened? I mean, what, 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 what no. happened with him? No, it was a, it was basically just concussion protocol. Um, I think okay. it was, it was scary. Um, no doubt about it, especially kind of on the field, but for the most part, I think once they got back and, and ran the tests and stuff, it was basically, you know, regular concussion protocol and, uh, from everything that I've heard this week and last week, he's been rehabbing as normal and uh, has kind of been cleared to practice. Uh, I don't okay. think we'll see him on Saturday by any means, but I think he's in a lot better shape than than we thought. Okay, yeah, that's good because somebody I, – I don't know if I read that wrong. I thought maybe he was out for the season or something like that, and I didn't know what the issue was there. But uh, it, it, you said there's more injuries with the defensive back. Can you guys walk through that depth on the defensive back? Because – Obviously, Oklahoma likes to sling it out. They like to throw the ball around. Uh, Spencer Rattler's new. Uh, K State usually is, you know, and I can tell you, a source told me, that, like, 
right after the, and I, y'all joke and whatever about the defensive line and whatnot and the offensive line, but I was told that K State will be in their mind the most physical defensive line that they'll face uh, throughout the Big Twelve, uh, or at least one of the most physical. Um, can you guys touch on the defensive back, the depth there, and then you all's thoughts on that defensive line and how they can pressure Spencer Rattler and kind of see if they can get him? Because it's not like they're going to be playing in front of 87,000 people this time around. I mean, yeah. there's only 30,000 people there. So uh, what, what's you all's take on that? Well, defensively, the, the biggest issues are at safety, um, where they finish the game with um, – two walk-ons playing safety against uh, some pretty good receivers for Arkansas State. And uh, Jonathan Adams, I, I want to block his name from my memory. I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> you know, six, four, 6'5", receiver from Arkansas State. He's the NFL guy. And uh, it was clear. Uh, he really, really gave Kansas State's smaller corners troubles, including A.J. Parker, who's only 5'11", but had, had held up pretty well last season against bigger receivers. This guy just really knew how to use his body. Uh, corner's less a concern for me than than that safety spots where they got down to Brock Monty and Ryan Hennington pretty quickly. Um, and Brock Monty is a special teams kind of guy that's being forced into duty. Uh, we'll see uh, if they just are always one injury away from a dramatic drop-off, which you may not see at an Oklahoma or Texas where recruiting's a little more depth to it the defensive line was good last week i know wally will want to put into this a little bit but i wasn't wild by them particularly in passing situations uh they've got all new defensive tackles who uh the front line guys that drew wiley and eli huggins seem to hold up fine they seem to do pretty good but i i wasn't uh in awe of wyatt hubert in any way who is you know expected to have a big season um, and I think he kind of wore out because they were a little thin there, but they're supposed to get back redshirt freshman Khalid Duke for this game. And he's been kind of the talk of, of camp. So we'll see if Khalid Duke can get in there because he's supposedly turned into a very dynamic pass rusher. Well, one thing that I'll touch on real quick about DBs is uh, Fitz mentioned, you know, when, it doesn't look like Wayne Jones is going to play. Um, K-State fans are pretty hopeful that you can get Jerome McPherson back for this game because if you pair him with Brock Monty, Brock Monty is not the most athletic guy in the world, um, but he's a veteran in the program. I believe he's a team captain, if I'm not mistaken, um, and he's a heady player. Um, so while he might not be able to make a ton of plays, he's the type of guy that can qu- kind of quarterback that secondary and get guys in the right spot. And then if you have Jerome McPherson next to him, then you kind of gain back some of that athletic ability um, that hopefully can cover sideline to sideline a little bit better than Poor Ryan Hennington could against Arkansas State, no fault of his own. And then with the defensive line, I'm I'm with Fitz. Uh, you know, Wyatt Hubert, I expected more from him against Arkansas State. Um, he had a really, really good game against Eric Swenson last year in Manhattan. Um, it would not surprise me if he kind of rebounds and has another good game um, on Saturday. But a lot of that will be predicated on the defensive tackles playing as well as they did against Arkansas State. I think Drew Wiley, you know, has shown over the course of his career that he can do it. Eli Huggins looked good against Arkansas State, but I think we need to see a little bit more before I'm ready to, you know, stamp the approval on him as as being kind of a Big 12 caliber D tackle. And they drastically need Khalid Duke. Um, 
Bronson Massey is a senior that we expected to kind of add some speed rush opposite of Wyatt Hubert. He didn't deliver against Arkansas State. Um, they brought in Kamari Gaines from Hutchinson Community College, a three-star guy that I think they had big hopes for. He was pretty lackluster in week one. So if, if they can't get anything from Khalid Duke, it puts more pressure on Wyatt Hubert, who already was a guy that you'd expect to be double teamed most of the season anyhow. I'm reading, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of reading up because obviously we don't know a whole lot about K-State just because there's one game that we're missing so many people. So that's why we're asking so many of these questions. Um, hey, Brandon, I got some things for these okay. guys, if you don't mind. Because yeah. I've been studying K-State a lot this offseason. I'm trying to get a true sense of what they are heading into this year. And I think you bring up some really interesting points about Wyatt Hubert specifically, right? And if you remember last year, he lined up specifically over the left tackle spot for Oklahoma. And it was a position that the Sooners just didn't get much production out of. And going into this season, obviously Hubert played a little bit more towards the right side of the offensive line against Arkansas State. And you mentioned, obviously, he didn't generate to maybe your expectations. The guy did have a sack in the first half, but I'm wondering, could you expect maybe him shifting over more towards back of the left side potentially? Because Oklahoma – it could be starting a true freshman at left tackle going into this year. Anton Harrison's a guy who going into the season wasn't expected to, to contend for playing time, but he overtook a position at left tackle that wasn't really strong to begin with. And so I'm wondering if you guys think maybe they try and expose something here with Hubert on a lesser matchup, or do you just see more of the same from him going into this game? My guess is they'll probably leave him on the right side and let Duke have that inexperienced tackle because he's more of a speed guy. Hubert's more of a kind of an anchor defensive end that can get to the quarterback and um, and also be stout against the run. They had Reggie Walker off, off opposite of him last year, so I gave him another big D end to be on that right side. Uh, I think they want to keep the dynamic player over there on the left side with Khalid Duke uh, if he's ready to go. And, and Bronson Boom Massey is another guy that can – have his moments um, who played last week. He didn't have many moments uh, against Arkansas State. It will be intriguing to see how they try to pick those matchups because we didn't learn much about defensive coordinator Joe Klanderman in week one um, other than he was so vanilla. Uh, it literally might have cost the team the game because they they really didn't do much to, to stifle this Arkansas State offense, giving up 35 points. is just not acceptable. Did y'all study the Arkansas State's uh, roster? How many transfers do they have on that from like big time Division One schools? Do y'all know? Because it seems like I, there's a lot. I don't. Yeah, they, those those Sun Belt teams are doing a lot of that, and that, that's good. Uh, but I didn't really get dig down and study. In fact, they had a lot of COVID positives. Yeah, and we the sense in Manhattan is a couple of guys might have gone positive between the Friday test and the Saturday game because then they popped up positive on Sunday. So you don't get exposed on Saturday and be positive on Sunday. So I think that might have been a source of some of the issues K-State had with with COVID earlier, you know, uh, last week when they started popping up again. The only guy that I know that Arkansas State has uh, that was a big-time recruit anyway was actually former OU Sooner Dahu Green, yeah. Um, was supposed to play in that game, but I think he's one of the guys, like Fitz mentioned, that um, was held out. Uh, I believe I believe it was a COVID-related issue. I don't think he got dinged up against Memphis. So 
uh, and Lord knows what he would have done, Fitz. You know, if Jonathan Adams had as good a game as he did, you got 6'5", Dahu Green on the other side. It, it could have been even worse than it was. Yeah, uh, Colin, uh, you like you said, you've broke down the film. Uh, your thoughts yeah. on uh, K-State, uh, I guess on the other side, when it comes to Oklahoma's defense versus their offense, what what are some keys that you're looking for on the Oklahoma side? Yeah, I think it's really fascinating going to this game because everyone will automatically go to Skylar Thompson, right, and what he's going to provide as that redshirt senior quarterback. But it's really rare for me to talk about a K-State offense and potentially bring up the point that they may not necessarily be as strong on the offensive line as they typically are. And it's going to be fascinating to get you guys' takes on this because obviously last season, K-State really relied on that veteran offensive line to not only wear down OU's lighter defensive front, but also they used them with some trick operation. I mean, obviously that viral video went of the, the fake counter that tripped up Kenneth Murray consistently. And That's so awesome. not only with all of that experience and talent gone, but also with some of that athleticism and awareness, for K-State to be essentially starting from scratch this year on the line of scrimmage is a big deal for me. I mean, obviously, Josh Revis was the guy who played a lot last year. I was pretty stunned with how big he is. But at the same time, I mean, K-State still kind of has to match up from both a physicality and athletic perspective with guys like Isaiah Thomas, Brandon, who really stood out in the first week for Oklahoma. You talk about Perrion Winfrey, the JUCO transfer, defensive tackle, big body guy they're hoping to replace with Gallimore. He proved that he's ready for the challenge. And so when you look at the defensive front, obviously we talk about games being won on the line of scrimmage. And I think we're really going to have to learn a lot about a defensive line for Oklahoma that's still trying to rebuild and an offensive line for Kansas State that's truly trying to find its identity right now with so many veteran presences gone. Well, Kansas State's offensive line is completely rebuilt. You mentioned Rivas, who had some starting experience, and uh, he's anchored in there at the left guard. Then they lost their new center, who was also a team captain, Noah Johnson, three snaps into the game. So that only added to the chaos. But uh, K-State's big, and they offset that by being slow. So that uh, that didn't work out too well against Arkansas State. Uh, it was bad. I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was bad. And I've gone as far to say I don't think, uh, as of right now, Kansas State has a legitimate Big 12 tackle on this entire roster. Uh, and they're trying to fix that as they go. Uh, and bless his heart, uh, redshirt freshman Cooper Beebe, he should be inside, had to move outside uh, because Christian Duffy's in uh, COVID protocol, if you want to call it that. We don't know if he has it or if he's uh, just been quarantined, but uh, we expect him still to be out. Uh, so maybe he is COVID positive. But Cooper did his best, but he admitted he made some real fundamental errors and really had some problems. Guys, it's bad. It's really bad, particularly if Noah Johnson can't go at center because then uh, they they really don't pick up their blocking schemes right. You mentioned the complex uh, things they ran last year with an experienced offensive line. Uh, so much for you know the, the fake trap. This team can't run the trap right now. Uh, guys aren't getting to the spots to make the blocks. Um, and I, Wally, I'm really interested to see how K-State kind of compensates for that this week, knowing that better. We'll see a lot more of Deuce Vaughn and maybe a lot more misdirection and and try to just let this offensive line block straight up and make things happen with the skilled players instead of them. Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to have to do that. And, and 
what's going to sound weird to me when cause I don't know how many people, maybe this is a hot take, but I almost feel like K-State's offense might outperform its defense on Saturday. As crazy as that sounds, knowing what we, what we did, what we saw against, uh, against Arkansas State, but I think K-State seemed to find something last year against Oklahoma's defense, and maybe Alex Grinch dials up something differently, but uh, I have something on the site coming Saturday morning at Go Power Cat kind of featuring th- three key matchups for the game, and one of them is Deuce Vaughn against um, Brian Asamoah, who I was pretty impressed with in the Missouri State game, but when you look back at K-State last year against OU, they did a lot of things in the flat whether it was these gadget plays, kind of bubble screens, or getting uh, Josh Youngblood coming across in motion. They, they basically made uh, Oklahoma's linebackers chase. And Alex Grinch is all about, it seems like he's a, he's a guy that's predicated on speed and pursuit, and they kind of come at you in waves. But, but the way that, that K-State was able to kind of spread them out a little bit, I wouldn't be surprised if Fitz, if they do that with Deuce Vaughn, and they get guys like Joaquin Gill hopefully back um, healthy, and, and maybe we do see Josh Youngblood again, and they can try and spice up some things that w- we didn't get to see against Arkansas State. On the flip side, those exact same things that I'm talking about with K-State's offense is why I think K-State's defense is in for a nightmare situation because they were able to play Jalen Hurts well because he wasn't the true dual threat that I think Spencer Rattler is Spencer is so much closer to Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and these guys that can run that kind of uh, whatever it is, veer read or RPO kind of stuff where the linebackers and safeties, you got to know where that ball is at all times. And even though K state's very strong at linebacker, I just worry sometimes about, you know, whether they're going to be able to identify where the ball is, and really contain Spencer Rattler and, you know, not have their heads spinning from, you know, is it a run? Is it a throw? Where's the ball? So I think K-State's offense, shockingly, might figure some things out. But I just, I worry a little bit about the defense for the exact same reason why I think the K-State offense might find some things clicking. Yeah, that, guys, for... That makes sense? <laughs> yeah. For all we complain about the offensive line, this offense has some playmakers. Uh, I mean... Deuce Vaughn uh, is uh, smaller than Darren Sproles, hard to believe, but uh, <laughs> has some of those Sproles-type things that he can do, making people miss, uh, which you know pretty much he had to do in that first game because the line wasn't getting much uh, push for him. Uh, tight end Bradley Moore. I mean, he kind of proves how much talent there is in college football. He transfers up from Northern Iowa, the FCS level, and yeah. this guy's an NFL tight end probably. And I think uh, – uh, we'll see K-State use him quite a bit. They're good at receiver. If they're healthy at receiver, they've got guys. Sebastian Taylor, a 6'4 receiver, kind of finally showed that he can be a playmaker. So if the line can protect enough and Skylar Thompson can make good decisions, which has been an up-and-down factor for him, uh, K-State will have some plays. They'll, they'll make some plays. They did put up 31 points in this game and miss two field goals. So the offense did do some good things against Arkansas State. Yeah, I think for Oklahoma, I, you guys brought up Brian Osamoa, and I got to tell you, that guy has come. What you saw in Granted FCS team or whoever was not the same person 
or player that we saw to start last year. And he was the backup wheel to start last season. So um, he, he said that he took a lot of things from Kenneth Murray, the 4 a.m., uh, you know, going in and watching film with Coach Odom at 4 a.m., doing that extra work and stuff like that. And it seemed to pay off because the very first play of the game, and I, it could have been a blitz. I don't really know if it was a blitz or not. But, my God, by the time the, the running back got the ball from Missouri State, he was, you know, in his face. And I thought that was – from that point on, he had one of the best first quarters or quarters in general that I'd seen a OU linebacker play. And that's saying something, seeing that Kenneth Murray was around. But um, – there, there is a still some questions with OU's defense. The the depth, um, I don't know if it's a question. It, it there's a lot of unknowns. How about that? Because, and I granted that is a question unknowns, but they're young, they're talented, they're long, they're athletic. They just don't have a lot of experience, and they've they've recruited really well. That's one thing that people kind of forget about Oklahoma is. Because of that LSU game, they were actually pretty decent last year on defense for the most part. They were a top 35 defense for the majority of the season. And then the the LSU game and the K-State game happened, and it was kind of like, who are these guys? And then the Iowa State cap happened, and then the very next week they go to being really good again. And then the, the week after that they go to giving up 45 points. And it was like Jekyll and Hyde last year for the Speed D to start – um, so I think consistency is a question when it comes to Oklahoma. I think that's what you look for in the defense. And then on the offense, you guys brought up how strong the, the linebacker core is. But on the flip side, the unknowns for Oklahoma at running back. Uh, who Seth McGowan's good. He proved it. Marcus Major played okay last week. Not what we thought he was going to play like. And then you get TJ Pleasure back, but you're missing Ramondre Stevenson. Kennedy Brooks is sitting out this year. So it, there, there's questions. The one thing that Oklahoma does have going for it is the good recruiting, number one. Number two, as of Thursday night, they had zero COVID. So, I mean, that – or contact tracing. Like, zero people were in quarantine. That is huge in comparison to – but <laughs> funny story, this is what Oklahoma did to combat that. So, on the bye week, Riley scheduled practices on Friday and Saturday night. Can't go out if you're practicing. So <laughs> kind of pretty smart. I mean, if you're trying to keep guys from doing crazy things, especially some of the things that we heard from a uh, certain Juco D lineman uh, after <laughs> week one. <laughs> you, can't, you can't go out and you certainly can't party, but at the same time you can't skip out on preparing for a D1 football game. And that's what True. this is going to be. And I think now that all those guys are back, it's truly a measuring stick for the depth of this squad. And, Ryan, it's actually funny you bring it up. You you mentioned the three key matchups. I wrote a similar piece over on OU Insider, so I guess great minds think alike. You but then you, you brought up <laughs> how is K-State going to mask the offensive line issues, right? And how are they going to provide time for Skyler to get the ball to some of those key weapons? I love Malik Knowles. I think he's a guy just tap full of potential. I think Deuce Vaughn is a guy we saw him at the Houston Regional. So much explosion, right? And he's only going to get better and better. But for me, one of the matchups that I highlighted in this game, guys, was 
K-State's tight ends versus OU's linebackers and nickelbacks because we don't know a whole lot right now about OU's linebacker depth or the nickelback depth for that matter behind Brandon Radley Hiles who is an enigmatic presence at that it's a lot of young guys and I think for K-State when you have a guy like Briley Moore who you mentioned about a great first game has that chemistry with Skylar Thompson but also Nick Lenners who has made a couple of all big 12 teams both those guys at about 6'4 250 6'5 252 not only can be receivers and impact the game there, but maybe they can provide some protection or extra run blocking. So from your perspective, can Lenners and Briley Moore be the impactful guys and presences in both the run game and passing game that I'm projecting, or is it an oversell at this stage? Yeah, that valid question. I have, I have something just because Oklahoma and OK Preps uh, Logan Long, he played last year quite a bit during that OU game. And if I remember correctly, he is the culprit that pissed off uh, Parnell Motley and got him ejected. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember that because I feel like – so my family's from Woodward, and I've known Logan for a long time. And uh, he used to my, – my uncle was the transportation guy for the uh, – the high school and was a coach and my my uh, aunt is a uh well, an old principal out there so uh he's he was quite the story uh coming out of woodward as a walk-on how has his uh progression been let me go back real quick to what colin was asking yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and, and, then, we'll get to, and yeah. then we'll get to logan um i think i think briley moore can be impactful I, first off, I think you're going to have to see Nick Lenners a little bit more on Saturday simply from a blocking standpoint because I think he's a trustworthy guy from um, that standpoint and K-State needs extra blockers because of the offensive line struggles. I think, though, in, as far as combating those struggles, that's where I see K-State having to almost kind of go to more of a dink and dunk offense on Saturday they've got to get the ball out quicker. Um, you know, Malik Knowles and Shabazzan Taylor, you know, they're great deep. And we saw what Taylor could do a couple times against Arkansas state where the ball just drifted on, on vertical patterns from Skyler, where it could have been a touchdown, you know, 30, 40, 50 plus yard touchdowns. But I don't think he's going to have that kind of time against OU. So that's where I was saying, getting stuff in bubble screens out in the flats and just quicker slant patterns where Briley Moore could, could come into play, um, getting guys in space, but making it happen quick so that that offensive line doesn't have to block forever because they just can't. And then with Logan Long, Fitz, I'll, I'll hand this one over to you. I think we saw some glimpses last week, but he's not, not quite, quite there yet. Yeah, he was a tight end last year at 270 pounds or so. He's put on 25 uh, pounds and now is a tackle. Still learning. Um, he's really green at tackle. I honestly don't think he'll be the starting left tackle as we progress, uh, as he gets more experience. Uh, that is actually something I'm going to keep a close eye on is how much Logan Long plays at tackle because <clears throat> I think he fits what they want. We saw against Oklahoma last year in other games that for a 270-pound guy, he actually moved pretty well. He had good hands. Um, so he should have the physical – capabilities to tackle he just doesn't have the kind of muscle memory you need for all the things you do there so uh that is a hopeful sign 
out there that they converted him. But uh, I think K-State will do a lot of stuff, uh, stretch that field horizontally, and try to get sneak those tight ends up the seam. Bradley Moore is kind of a college version of Travis Kelsey, if I can compliment him that way. He's not at the NFL version. Uh, he, he certainly can do things after the catch. He has a great level of comfort with Skylar Thompson because they're childhood friends. So they finally get to play together on the same team. Very he cool. had six catches, and I think he needs to be targeted probably uh, about twice as much as he was last week because I think he is a legitimate weapon that can keep those safeties, nickels, linebackers, uh, keeping an eye on him instead of other things that they really uh, should be doing. So you, you, you talked about the first off, I want to, I want to touch on the, uh, the deep threats. Um, so as far as the wide receiver uh, Malik Knowles last year, I feel like he was, was he was the guy that basically was looked towards as a deep threat for K-State, if I remember correctly. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, how, how has he continued the the step? Because it seemed like he almost came out of nowhere to be like this guy that was the 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 speedster, the star guy for K State. Because I remember at the, I guess when we went up there to Manhattan, I felt like he he was a problem for Oklahoma last year. Uh, he uh, he he beat I think it was Jaden Davis twice. Um, and granted, he was a freshman, but. Noel seemed to flash to me. I don't know what it was about him. He's, he's really smooth in everything that he did. Um, and then also, just as you guys were talking about Logan Logan Long, I'm a Denver Broncos fan, so Dalton Reisner is he's a he's he's a really good player. Um, what for you guys is there any similarities as far as talent goes between? Anybody on that offensive line or potential to somebody like a Reisner? Probably Cooper Beebe. Once I get him moved back inside, um, they might have some of those gifts. He's just a naturally really big guy, and uh, I don't think he's probably a tackle by trade, but we saw Cody White here move out to tackle for Kansas State later in his career just out of need. So, uh, Maybe that's what he'll kind of end up being as a guy that has to play all over the place. Uh, as far as receivers, Malik Knowles is, has the capability of being special. He had a really spectacular one-handed catch uh, against Arkansas State and then had a perfectly thrown deep ball from Skylar Thompson get poked out as he tried to put it away. Um, and he's got to make that – finish that catch. So uh, there's – some real upside to him and still some mistakes that get made that kind of frustrates you. But, you know, they, they were missing the, the Dalton shown the kind of reliable route runner who actually was sneaky fast. I think White King Gill will move into that role. If he's able to play Joshua Youngblood will be more incorporated. Of course, he was a, a super kickoff returner. He's yeah. going to be incorporated in the throwing game a little bit more. Uh, and then of course, Sebastian Taylor, who I mentioned earlier, they got some dudes. They really do have yeah. some dudes in the passing game. Uh, if they're healthy uh, and Skyler has time to operate and, and get them the ball. Malik's problem too, is that he's been banged up over the course of his career. I don't think he's been able to get through an entire season yet fully healthy, but in saying that when he has been healthy, it's been a roller coaster ride with Malik. You know, he can be incredible on special teams. He won the Mississippi state game practically 
last year just with a with a kickoff return um he can do a lot of things um and and he can make spectacular catches he just doesn't do it as often as you need him to i mean if he's going to be a number one guy in the big 12 he's got to get open more consistently and and reel in the catches like fitz was saying that that should be catches um so you know this would be a great coming out party for malik to to do it against ou the but to this point we just haven't seen enough consistency for him to be this this legitimate Big 12 threat that, that I think you're kind of alluding to, Brandon. So I want to ask all three of you guys, and we'll want to get the K-State perspective, and I want to get the OU perspective, uh, and I'll, I'll just go last on my take on it. The QB run game with Skylar Thompson seems to be, or was at least last year, kind of a uh, – if I remember every third and like four or five – it just seemed like hike the ball and QB counter, QB power, and he was going to get six, seven, eight yards against Oklahoma last year for some odd reason. It's just they were finding ways to, uh, you know, just kind of out leverage Oklahoma on those last year, uh, just in how they lined up, uh, the motions, the shifts, all that stuff. Um, is that's something that they still kind of rely on offensively or is that still just kind of a process that is unknown since it's been so early uh only arkansas state's the only game we all have seen uh how do you how do you see that qb run game because it seemed like last year skylar thompson he would have big games running and then he would have games where you know he wasn't so great at running the ball uh maybe it's because handing off was better option for k-state uh how is y'all taking, obviously, with calling the Oklahoma side, how do you see Oklahoma combating that? And then I'll come on the back end of it on my with my take. So I guess we can start with Tim. Yeah, they, they want to run the quarterback, not as much as they did under Bill Snyder. They want to pick their fights in that. They ran him a little bit against Arkansas State, and he also got dumped on his head and uh, missed a little bit of action. And when they put in the true freshman, Will Howard, they tried to run with him because he is a pretty good runner. Uh, and about the time he received the snap, he was tackled. That's how bad the blocking was. Wow. Um, so uh, that, that's that's the bottom line. You, you're going to have problems running those QB powers or, or any kind of thing out of the backfield if your offensive line isn't giving him some room to run. Uh, the reason the QB run game works is that it evens the numbers out between offense and defense, but if you don't block the guys in front of you, it's not going to go anywhere. I think we will see Will Howard at some point in this game, uh, maybe to run the ball, but uh, also you just make Colin happy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, they're going to keep searching for times to put him into action to get him ready for next year. Colin's a big uh, Howard fan, by the way, just so you guys know. Well, he, uh, he's the backup quarterback, and everyone loves the backup quarterback. <laughs> Doesn't matter where. Very true. <laughs> I don't. I think they like to run the quarterback. Like I think that's part of their offense, but I, I really don't think on Saturday they want to really, I'll put it this way. It'll be really telling about how Kansas state's coaches view this season based on how they decide to use Skylar Thompson. Because I think if, if you want Skylar Thompson, you know, to be your quarterback, um, you know, for this season, for the extent of it, you're going to want to protect him, I think, a little bit more than 
than running him 13 times like we saw against Oklahoma last year. Because, like Fitz said, he darn near got pretty hurt last uh, last game against Arkansas State. Um, and I just don't know if they're ready to bring Will Howard in to to be more than just kind of a spell quarterback for the moment. But if they see this season as just kind of a let's see what we got kind of thing, then not saying that they don't care about Skylar Thompson's health, but like if, if they're okay with, you know, running him and, and if he gets hurt, you know, we'll, we'll move on to the next guy kind of deal. Then maybe they do run him 13 times. But I, I think in my, in my heart, I don't think they're going to want to because last week was so scary at the, op, the, you know, the possibility of losing him for the rest of the season on that goal line hit that I think for the most part, based on the offensive line and, and that fear of losing Skyler, they'll probably only run him when needed. You know, it, a scramble here and there. I, I don't foresee a lot of design reads. But like you said, Fitz, I also see some, some Will Howard plays coming as well. Yeah, I, I think they might use him in the, down near the goal line because uh, that's when the quarterback run game can be really effective. He had great luck in open field last year when the center of the field would be vacated by a defense and he'd take off running. Uh, so maybe we'll see that. But uh, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on how OU will defend this. Yeah, I think this is a really good summation to lead into just Skylar Thompson versus OU's defense in general. Yep. Because to be quite honest with you, I think Alex Grinch will be damned if he lets Skylar Thompson run all over him again. So that comes back to – what Ryan was talking about. And I think it's a great point. I think this game is really going to reveal how they can utilize Skyler in the quick game passing, because I see Oklahoma locking down that line of scrimmage, especially because not only is Skyler a very good runner, but I'm sure Grinch is going into this game saying, okay, yes, they may have lost a starting running back, but at the same time, Harry Trotter is a very good running back. Deuce Vaughn is the guy that we've all mentioned, a very explosive presence, even as a true freshman. And so I see Grinch completely locking down that line of scrimmage, especially since he knows K-State's offensive line is struggling at this point. And I think for Kansas State, I mean, they truly have to decide, do they trust Skylar Thompson not just be a runner? I think I want to see how he distributes the football against an OU secondary that, quite honest, right now is probably a little bit more vulnerable than it was in years past. And I think Skyler really kind of had some success when Parnell Motley, as Brandon mentioned, got kicked out of the football game. And that's what allowed guys like Malik Knowles to kind of step forth in that football game. Or in this kind of situation, I mean, Kansas State may have one of the few receivers or two in the Big 12 that can match up with Oklahoma speed-wise. Like Youngblood is an obvious speedster. And if they can get him involved in the passing game, then automatically you just took away OU's secondary strength. Trey Brown is obviously a fast guy, but he's not usually that number one cornerback that they're expecting him to be right now. And Jaden Davis, he's a sophomore, still trying to figure it out. And if you burn him with speed, I have to believe his confidence is going to be shaken. So for me, I think Skylar Thompson, yes, he'll have to be an efficient runner. He's going to have help with those running backs. But we talked about it. The offensive line may struggle. Those tight ends may have to help. But at the end of the day, I think Skylar Thompson, you saw flashes of ups and downs. He had a beautiful smash concept in the first game for that first touchdown, if I remember correctly, against Arkansas State. I want to see him do a little bit more of that. And then if he doesn't, I'm with you guys. I think I want to see what they can do with Will Howard. I think the kid's a stud. I mean, he looks every bit of a D1 quarterback. And I think it's kind of weird to say, I think both programs are kind of in quote-unquote gap years. And I say that because they're still figuring it out 
specifically at the quarterback position right now. Spencer Rattler's really young. Kansas State with a guy like Will Howard and Jake Rubley, a four-star commit who I'm very high on. I think if you feel like you can get Will Howard some valuable experience and Skylar Thompson isn't doing it for you, then I say throw him in there. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be more than just the quarterback run game. Kansas State has to be a little bit more variant offensively because Grinch is not going to let those guys do what they did to him a season ago. Yeah, so I was just looking at the box score last year, and it is not pretty if you were an Oklahoma Sooner fan uh, in the in the run game. Just It seemed like Skylar Thompson had like this enormous game, and touchdown-wise, he did with four. But can y'all believe this? Like, yeah. In my mind, when I think back at that game, I'm like, I swear he was running wild and nobody was touching the guy, but he ran 13 times for only 39 yards and he only averaged three yards a carry, but four TDs. And I think there was one play that really, and obviously sacks and stuff like that kind of attribute to making it the, the net way more, way less than obviously his gross was, but he, it was, that's crazy because I really thought the guy went ran wild on Oklahoma last year, but in, instead it was Gilbert. Gilbert ran wild. Gilbert averaged eight point one yards a carry, and I remember that was on that stinking, you know, the fake. We're gonna pull and we're gonna come back the other way uh, with the running back uh, and the offensive line. That was that was one of the most brilliant play designs I've ever seen in my life, and. I remember when Sam Mays for the franchise down here, former Oklahoma State All-American NFL offensive lineman, uh, brought that to everybody's attention. That was like everybody's like, whoa. Because it it was brought to the attention as far as the during the, the telecasts uh, when I watched it, rewatched it, but it really caught fire on Twitter. And that's where everybody's like, that was honestly – when you look back at it, it really was one of the most brilliant play designs I've ever seen. But as we were talking about with Skyler, I, it really did seem like he went off on Oklahoma. Like it seemed like the guy just was just running around doing whatever he wanted last year. But when you look at the stats, it didn't, it doesn't show that. Um, I, I think as far as Oklahoma, as far as stopping that, you obviously have to look at Deshaun White and you have to look at, Brian Osamoa. You have to look at David Uwegbu. You have to look at uh, – I'm trying to think of who else would be playing linebacker. <laughs> but uh, the, they're not real deep at linebacker. Uh, they're also very uh, – with the loss of Caleb Kelly, that's something I think that could be taken advantage of by the right team, the right scheme. And K-State is very, very – uh, smart schematically and how they do things. Now, obviously, you guys talked about the offensive line. They have to be able to block to do those things that they do schematically. Um, it's uh, it's just hard for me to imagine a K-State team that doesn't have a good offensive line because I don't remember a K-State team not having a good offensive line. Is that so? Is that for you guys? Is that kind of odd? Because I and I, I I try to think back to all the K-State teams I've seen over the years I've been watching K-State for since I was a child and well, d- dating back to Chad May if I remember correctly uh 
watching him come in Norman as a 12-year-old and absolutely light OU's ass up. And that was the first time because K-State beat Oklahoma and Norman. That was one of the weirdest things ever as a child. How weird is that for you guys? The the offensive line is, you know, a work in progress, but – they didn't have spring football. They didn't have most of their out-of-season program when you would have uh, really kind of built the cohesiveness you need along an offensive line. This is such a weird year for uh, having to rebuild a unit like that that demands having time together, and then you literally don't get that time. So I think they will get better. I think the interior of the line uh, is up to K-State standards. If they can identify two tackles uh, that – that can really grow into these roles. They'll be okay. They'll be able to get by uh, because they do have enough offensive weapons. Uh, going back to Skylar Thompson, you guys saw good, confident Skyler against Oklahoma last year. Yeah. Uh, there's another version of Skyler that we've seen on occasion uh, that uh, a little bit indecisive, falls into some bad habits, doesn't make good decisions on running the ball. Uh, and, and that Skyler, it's hard to win with him. Uh, but good, decisive Skyler, when he shows up, it's trouble because he can throw the ball, he can run the ball, um, and he is a smart kid uh, when he plays kind of in system in, and gets out of his own head and doesn't overthink things. I guess lastly, before we close this out with you guys, uh, predictions. Got to do predictions. It's a pregame podcast. Oh how do you guys see how do you guys see this game playing out? Uh, knowing that, I mean, I, I know this sounds awful to say on our part. The fact that Oklahoma seems to be just coming in this thing clean as a whistle, uh, as far as COVID goes. I mean, as far as we know, obviously. Uh, and then you guys, just K State, struggling a little bit on that yeah. end. Uh, how do you guys see that playing out? You put K-State's ones against Oklahoma's ones, and it's Oklahoma has an advantage. You put K-State's twos against anyone from Oklahoma, the advantage gets significant. You get to threes, and it's epic. Um, The the spread is, what, 27 and a half? I'm not a betting man, but I would bet Oklahoma on that spread. I think this is going to get ugly. Um, I will counter that with um, I do think K-State will be more competitive than people think they will be, at least from an offensive standpoint. I think they will figure some things out. I don't think by any means they're going to put 30 up or anything like that. Um, I think the line will look a little better because I think we've heard this offseason around Manhattan that those within the program do have high expectations for this offensive line, that the potential for them is there. But we were hearing even in August and July that, that Everyone knew this group was going to need a couple weeks. Then you, yeah. then you they add in the fact that Noah Johnson, the starting center that has been getting rave reviews all offseason, voted a captain, that has all this rapport with Skylar Thompson. We see him with the starting unit for two snaps. So I think if Kansas State can get him back and he plays a majority of this game, um, I think offensively they'll, they'll be okay. I think defensively it'll be, like I said, kind of a nightmare um, just because Spencer Rattler is that dual threat. 
And I think if he gets some things clicking on the ground, that opens up the passing game and yada, yada. So I'm with Fitz. I, I think Oklahoma covers, um, but I, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be like Missouri State <laughs> where it's, you know, 50-something to nothing and then K-State scores 14 or 20 towards the end. I think K-State will sprinkle in some scores there, but by the end, it will be a significant disparity. You know, I'm really excited about this matchup moving forward in terms of the future of the Big 12. I love Chris Kleiman. Like I said, I love what K-State's building. But right now, both of these squads also, as I mentioned, it just feels like they're in a gap year. I mean, for K-State, they're questionable on the line of scrimmage. We don't get to say that very often. They're kind of banged up and questioning the the defensive secondary. It feels like that's a strength for K-State typically. For Oklahoma, they're young and inexperienced at quarterback. You don't get to say that very often. And the fact that, hey, they're young and inexperienced at the skill positions, and they've lost defensive production. Those sentences are almost never said when it comes to OU. So factoring all this in, I still have Oklahoma covering, but moving forward, I'm thinking this is going to be a very competitive matchup. For this game specifically, though, I'm expecting K-State to get off to a pretty strong start. I feel like Oklahoma's young guys, as I mentioned, they're inexperienced on both sides of the ball, specifically at some of the weak points in terms of K-State's strengths. I think Skylar Thompson and K-State could get off to a pretty strong start against Oklahoma team that played a god-awful Missouri State squad. And then eventually, I think Oklahoma will settle in. Spencer Rattler will get a little bit more comfortable. And eventually, OU will cover that spread. But I think this is getting to be a little bit of an interesting game, one that maybe people aren't giving it enough credit for. Yeah, um, I'm kind of with Colin on this. Um, And I don't know if – it's I'm I'm saying this year competitively maybe not just because of contact tracing COVID you know those, those it's it's an unfortunate side effect for this game and just it can ruin the outcome outcome of the game but and the sad part is is the game has to be played contracts you know whatnot but um, I think in the future though with what Climate's done at K State with. It seems like he's starting to pick up, get his groove, find guys for his scheme and everything in the, on the recruiting trail. It looks like I think K-State's going to go back to being the K-State of old and being that the problem in the Big 12. The, everybody has them pick low every year, and then all of a sudden they're up there trying to fight for that second, third, fourth spot in the Big 12. That's that's how I see it. But as far as this game goes, like you guys said, it – it doesn't look good on paper. Just doesn't as far as depth goes, as far as talent disparities go. But K-State's a well-coached team. I think, as Colin said, they're going to come out. Uh, and it, obviously, you know, you guys have said the same thing, that I think early on they're going to pose a problem for Oklahoma to start the game. I don't think it's going to come out to where Oklahoma just starts shooting off and doing what they did last two weeks ago where it was just bang, 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 touchdown. It's 42 to nothing or whatever at halftime, 49 nothing, whatever it was. And the the game's over. I I can't see that. Um, They're too good of a coach team. They got too much talent. Uh, Obviously they're missing some key pieces, but – they're still Kansas State. I still think they're going to come in, pose a problem. But in the end, I think Oklahoma's talent, the depth, and the fact that they don't seem to be missing anybody as far as COVID goes kind of plays into their favor, uh, and they probably do cover. But 
Uh, I think for a quarter and a half, maybe two quarters, I think this thing looks like it's a 14, 17-point ball game, and then it kind of stretches out as the game ends. I mean, is that, does that sound fair? I mean, is that, does that yeah. sound like something that you guys could kind of see happening as well? I can get on board with that. Yep, yeah, me too. Well, guys, Ryan, Tim, I appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, uh, for those that are listening to this, just to listen, they don't know much about gopowercat.com and maybe they're K-State fans, uh, kind of tell everybody what you have going on right now. Yeah, well, we've been doing this for more than 20 years. Um, it's our third year on uh, – actually starting our fourth year on the network on 24-7. Um, so it's uh, it's fun. we got a great staff. We do uh, a really good mix of VIP and free content. We've been kind of heavy on VIP leading up to the game, but that's what people pay for and do a lot of podcasts. We have a podcast yep. every day of the week, and that's the video, and we're having fun with it. All right. Well, I appreciate y'all coming on with us. Thank y'all. You bet. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Good work. Yes, sir. All right. This is Tim uh, Fitzgerald and Ryan Wallace from GoPowerCats.com. Thank you, guys. Yeah, once again, I want to thank Tim Fitzgerald, uh, the editor and publisher, sorry, publisher for gopowercats.com and obviously Ryan Wallace, their recruiting editor for gopowercats.com for coming on with us and doing uh, an hour of good, solid talk of K-State, Oklahoma. Um, they they know their stuff. Uh, very interesting guys, very knowledgeable guys. I love the X's and O's talk. Um, but we're going to shift now real quick before Colin and I end this podcast with a our predictions of how we think the game is going to go and obviously we gave the predictions i'm talking score uh instead of just you know how we think it's going to play out in the future of the the matchup but um colin long kruger the oklahoma basketball program continues to recruit well i mean shockingly well on their i mean it, it is shocking i keep saying the word shocking but it really is shocking how they have continued to people knock long kruger in his recruiting prowess for such a long time and he's brought in the buddy hills of the world the isaiah cousins they were four stars um he brought in uh, i'm trying to think of some other four stars and obviously trey young uh, just in, well, that freshman class a couple of years ago was loaded. Uh, it was last year, right? The, the year before last. Uh, and they ended up being so good that they were going to be a uh, in state tournament team. I mean, that's how good with Harmon and all those guys. They were a very talented freshman class. Uh, and obviously, he's really good about bringing in transfers that you got to recruit those transfers to come in. Uh, he's proven himself to be a really good recruiter. and the older he gets, the better his recruiting has gotten. Uh, kind of break down the, not kind of, but do break down the uh, get of C.J. Knowles uh, that Oklahoma got this past week uh, with the basketball program. Uh, very talented four-star guy that has a lot uh, to bring to the table, and Oklahoma is in on some other big-name guys uh, they seem to make the cut for them as well. Can you break down everything that happened basketball recruiting for us uh, in the last couple of weeks? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Lon Kruger is a K-State guy. He's running OU basketball. And now OU football is playing Kansas State this week, and they already got a win over K-State because people may not know this, but C.J. Nolan, the newest commitment for OU, is actually a K-State legacy. And instead of going to the Wildcats, wow. the, instead of going to the Wildcats, which he was perceived and almost locked to go to K-State at some points, he commits to OU and Lon Kruger. And I think that's just a testament to the caliber of recruiter that not only Lon Kruger is, but this staff is in general. I mean, Carlin Hartman has done an outstanding job, especially this cycle and finding guys and getting them committed. I, I think Alvin Poo Williamson has done a very nice job assimilating with this staff and getting settled in. And I think as a result, we're seeing Oklahoma land high caliber guys like a C.J. Noland, who is a very good player. You mentioned it, four-star guard. He's a guy at 6'3", 200-plus pounds, a little bit of a stockier build, but I like what he brings to the table. He's physical. He's aggressive. He enjoys driving to the rack. And I think he complements well with Bijan Cortez, the point guard commitment in this 2021 cycle for Oklahoma. They'll be able to feed off of each other very well. And for Nolan specifically, not only is he that physical presence on the perimeter, but he's a guy who, like you mentioned, it continues to further Oklahoma's momentum on the recruiting trail because this is a guy who has several relationships with other OU targets. Now, everyone will want to know about two specific names, Damian Collins and Trey Alexander, right? Yep. Damian Collins, the five-star power forward center, is obviously priority number one for OU right now. And C.J. Nolan is a guy who has very close relationships with Damian. I've noted this on our VIP board a couple of times. The landing of C.J. Nolan is only going to benefit OU moving forward. I think Damian's really considering Oklahoma as his primary contender. And I'll have more on the OU Insider VIP board coming up. But People should know that the landing of C.J. Nolan isn't only great from a talent perspective, but it really helps accelerate the process for Damian Collins. Or Trey Alexander, I, I just want to leave it at this. If you're on the OU Insider VIP board, you know where things stand with Trey Alexander at this point. Yeah. I mean, you're getting some inside scoop that not a lot of people know right now. And I've been very, very evident in terms of what's going on with Trey behind the scenes. And so – as a result, Trey is still a guy that's on the board. I've highlighted a couple of other targets that could slide in, but people should know with Nolan in the boat and Damian Collins being the primary target who's always going to have a spot, now with Bijan and Nolan and a spot reserved for Damian if he commits, there's basically one more scholarship to play with for yeah. OU right now, and I think they could end up with a very talented recruiting class. Well, okay, so as far as talent goes and recruiting, the, the class of Buddy Hield. Isaiah Cousins. Um, I'm trying to think of who else was was Jordan Woodard. Um, those guys didn't get. Um, was Jordan Woodard the next year after he, he was, was here below? But Spangler, 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 Spangler yeah, yeah, yeah. They all came in together. Obviously, Spangler was a transfer from Gonzaga, but um, right. still and. That's crazy because Gonzaga is so good. Um, I, I, how he left, I still don't understand how um, Cable let him leave. I'm, I'm done with that. Anyways, uh, that still tried, like should have never happened, uh, but it, it worked out in the end. Um, this class, how does it rank? I know, I, I know as far as four stars, Ballyhooed, stuff like that, this class is going to be better than that Buddy Hill class, but 
the fit and how everything worked out with Buddy Hield's class. How how do you see this this class potentially playing out uh, in the future? Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating because you're talking about a 2021 group right now that not only has tons of talent but a ton of chemistry. Right, and that for me is what is a really big deal for that's huge. You have to find the systematic fit, especially for Lon Kruger, who he puts an emphasis on finding the right guys. I mean, Lon is not going to bring in dudes who are prima donnas or asking for the ball 15, 17 times a game. He's finding guys like Bijan, who has been essentially the Caleb Williams of OU basketball. I have to laugh at that comment just because of this is how this recruiting you know I'm getting at with who I'm yeah. getting at. So yes. that's why I find funny when how you worded that. Anyways, go ahead. It was it was subtle. I'm glad that you picked it up. <laughs> I picked it up. <laughs> but at the same time, I think when you talk about Bijan, who like I said, we've mentioned it on the OU Insider VIP board. He has been basically the Caleb Williams of OU basketball and recruiting these guys and CJ Nolan now in the mix as a guy who's very humble, very confident, works hard, and fits, again, what Long Kruger wants to do, a stockier guard who can drive and compliment Bijan very well. Damien is a guy who OU absolutely loves. If they were to land him and maybe they were to land a Trey Alexander or I'll throw a name out here that OU Insider VIP members have known for a while, Atiki Ali Atiki, a center out of Tanzania, if they were to get a guy like him who's a very good basketball player but also very good person this group coming in could be one of the most heralded recruiting classes in OU basketball history while also being one of the most close-knit and chemistry built classes that Long Kruger and this OU basketball program in general has brought in in a while and as a result you're only going to see the benefits from that once they were all able to get into the program if they're able to get all of those guys together so okay so (laughs) We're, we're we're talking about Ballyhooed classes. The last time Oklahoma brought in a class of that ilk was I, I wanted was it, was it Scotty Reynolds? Um, there was Scotty Reynolds, who was a the, the 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 power forward, small forward that ended up at Texas and made to the NBA. Um, they all committed and signed with Oklahoma. Oklahoma got put on probation, and the NCAA let them out of their uh that was 2007 i think or 2008 can't remember the but obviously reynolds ends up going to uh villanova and playing in the final four am i that's right correct i believe so it's a, it's simple to say it's been a minute since it's been Oklahoma a while since they've had some, like this as a whole off. yeah as yeah. a whole yeah that's kind of where i'm getting at um so that that's nuts. Like over a decade since Oklahoma was brought in. Now, obviously that Buddy Hill freshman class, Isaiah, cause all those, that was remarkable. It all, they went to the final four, probably should have won the national title. Had they not run into Villanova who just couldn't miss that day. People forget that that was a close ball game for the first 12, 13 minutes. And then Villanova just went, that <laughs> got so hot. I've never seen anybody shoot like that. <laughs> that has been a long time. And they just ended up being a blowout. Uh, but um, because they did the same thing to Villanova earlier in the year at Maui, they lit Villanova up in Maui. Uh, so I, it, 
it's been a while since Oklahoma has had a group like that, like as a whole. Now, obviously, this class with Devion Harmon and all those guys, they have a chance. They have a chance to be very special. Um, core, I'm trying to think who else is in that class. Who? Jalen Hill, the Jalen Hill, yeah, out of yeah, Vegas, yeah. Oh my gosh, from that class, that, that that was a very good class. That's that's, but that goes to what we're talking about. How good he's been recruiting the past couple of years. I mean, they're going to be strong. This program is going to be strong for a while. Um, you could, I could see them being a Final Four type program here in the next two or three years. Like that is that isn't out of the realm of possibility. Uh, all all you have to do is get on a good run, especially when you have that type of talent. Yeah, I, obviously we don't want to make this an entire basketball podcast, but right. I will to your point, if they can figure it out and they can land both Damian Collins and Trey Alexander with Bijan Cortez and C.J. Nolan and bring them into a program that already features tons of talent, this is probably the most talent OU basketball has had since that Final Four team. And I wouldn't be surprised if they went – on a similar run if and when all of that stays together and develops into the talent that I think we all expect. It's a ways down the road and still things have to happen. Still unknowns, obviously, across the board. But if they're able to pull it off, it's a lot of talent for an OU basketball program right. to get back into the national relevancy. Right. No, I mean, yeah, lastly, the the other class, that, or the other group that would comes to mind and, and maybe the most talented of them all was that 2008, 2009, uh, uh, Blake Griffin, uh, Willie Warren, Tony Crocker, Austin Johnson. Oh my gosh. That, that group was really, really good. Uh, was it, uh, that it was just a phenomenal group. Um, so, and, and then the, the, the Qantas white, uh, Hollis price, Jabari Brown. That was a very, that was a solid group too. So, uh, it takes those groups. It seems like Oklahoma hits those every five or six years where they get on a really good run of talent like that. And they end up making the final four of the elite eight and being a really good program. And that's why they're quietly one of the better college basketball programs in the nation year in and year out. People, it, it, it really is a forgotten thing nationally because it, it, Oklahoma's football program really overshadows it. But uh, I guess speaking of the football program, the recruiting uh, starting to pick up quite a bit now. It was quiet. There was a lot of uh, crickets, if you will, for a while. And starting the next two or three weeks, there could be some fun in uh, Link Up 21. Uh, you have uh, Jalil Farouk, the four-star wide receiver out of uh, the D.C. area, set to announce on his mom's birthday this Sunday. Oklahoma is the clear leader there. Um, you have uh Kamar Wheaton who says he's going to announce um and he's told us that from the get-go that he wanted to announce before his football season started well his first game is October 2nd so um I think this would have been over in August had they not pushed the season back um and Clearly, it would have probably been Oklahoma then, and it still seems like it's going to be Oklahoma now. Uh, so that's another five-star running back that Oklahoma looks to lead on. Uh, now, granted, we don't know a whole lot about Kamar because the dude is quiet as a mouse. Um, but what we do know is that he 
likes Oklahoma a lot. And they seem to be the common denominator and everything. Uh, you have Savion Bird, who's set to announce here soon. Uh, Oklahoma's the leader there, depending on who you talk to. Uh, but for majority of people think Oklahoma leads. And when I talk to Savion, I get the feeling that Oklahoma's the leader. Uh, 2022 Luther Burden set to announce here in the next oh two weeks maybe or so. Uh, and he uh put out that he was going to commit soon. Uh, rumbling started to sound like Oklahoma's the leader there. So there is a lot of good momentum. And then the name everybody wants to talk about all the time, Tristan Lee. What is the five-star offensive lineman Tristan Lee going to do? Well, I have not put in a crystal ball for a reason for a long time. And that is because it's been back and forth, back and forth, LSU, Oklahoma, LSU, Oklahoma, LSU, Oklahoma. He goes and he visits LSU twice in a two-week span on his own dime. Well, one would think when you do that, you're going to commit, right? That didn't happen. So now everybody's sitting back going, what the hell? Like, what is going on? He has no intentions of announcing anytime soon. And then there's a lot of OU rumblings again. And his mom and him come out and say, yes, we're looking to come back to visit Oklahoma and go to a game. So now everybody seems to think, oh, maybe Oklahoma's the leader again. Uh, and he was just going out there and he did state he only went out there and took his girlfriend and his mom and his little sister to LSU again because they had already bought everything and they had they it was just a waste of money. So they decided, well, we'll just go do it anyways. And they said nothing happened. They didn't get to see hardly anything on that trip. And then the hurricane came in and instead of flying back, they had to drive, drop his girlfriend off in Jacksonville and then drive up to DC. So Ended up being a double whammy on that visit. It didn't turn out as well as one would hope. Um, And you have the Williams family, Caleb Williams and his family, who's very, very close with uh, Tristan Lee, mom, Laura, uh, and obviously Tristan. So there is a lot of good going on there. Um, If I had to put in a crystal ball, I'd put it in for Oklahoma, but a confidence of maybe three, four, five at the most right now. Uh, and that's not a homer pick. That is literally how I felt about this for a while. But the reason I haven't put in a crystal ball is because I'm not confident. I don't like putting in a crystal ball if I'm not going to be a six or above. There's no point to me. So I've stayed out of it. Plus, you get that backlash from the opposing fan base. That's always fun to deal with and the, the, the names and all that stuff. Uh, I love you, Ohio State fans blowing y'all kiss uh they didn't they 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 did not like my luther burden pick turned out to be right they didn't like my uh who was the oh latham uh pick when i picked alabama didn't like that either uh they were right uh right picks but that, that that's a tough crowd i do think they're funny fan base though but i digress anyways Yes, Tristan Lee, Oklahoma, seems to be trending in that direction. Even sources I talk to seem to feel like LSU may be slipping a little bit. Uh, what is your take, Colin? Uh, uh, have you heard any rumblings as far as Tristan Lee or anybody that you want to kind of bring up right now before we get into the predictions on the recruiting side of uh, football recruiting? 
as far as Oklahoma goes? Yeah, I think the big thing for me here that gets overlooked when it comes to Tristan Lee is the fact that he is in such a recruiting hotbed for OU right now. I mean, everyone's talking about it, right? The DMV region has essentially become focus number one for OU staff. And I think the Caleb Williams connection is obviously a big deal. But I think when it comes to Tristan Lee, what I've gathered is the dominoes falling is going to be a big deal here. Right. I mean, Tristan Lee is a guy who, let's face it, he's going to prioritize relationships. And I think that's a big deal for him, especially when he sees some guys that he has relationships with going one way or the other. Now, right. when I was out there on the East Coast doing that shoot for CBS Sports for one Caleb, Kelvin Gilliam, yep. Kelvin and Damon Harmon made it very clear to me very often that they were going to prioritize Tristan Lee and they've heard good things about him. And so not only for a guy like Caleb Williams, who Tristan Lee would be protecting in this situation, but for defensive commits like Harmon and Gilliam to be constantly in this guy's ear, that's a, that's a big deal for me. And then transitioning from that into some other things. I mean, you talk about Tristan Lee and the relationships. Well, he was a guy who went on the Sooner summit, right. And he met guys like Savion Bird. Kamar Wheaton, both guys that I've heard in the state of Texas are very much trending towards OU. I would not be surprised to see that Savion Bird domino fall very Came shortly. down with Farouk as well. Flew down yeah, with Farouk and Williams. Yeah. Another guy out there on the East Coast. But, I mean, like Savion Bird is a fellow offensive lineman target. And I think for Tristan Lee to build relationships with Bird or with Kamar, that's a big deal. And I think what's also a big deal is the fact that right now we're hearing great things for you regarding both Savion Bird and Kamar Wheaton. And then, I mean, you mentioned it. Not only is it in 2021, but 2022, great things, it sounds like, for Luther Burden. I mean, hey, how about Brennan Thompson? A really interesting athlete out there in Spearman. He's a dynamic presence, speedy guy. So things are trending upward for Oklahoma in both 2021 and 2022. And I think people forget, like, the recruiting kind of evens out right before college football and high school football gets started. Everyone wants to focus on their specific teams, but right now as everyone's kind of getting settled in, the recruiting starting to pick back up and some good news could be in the fold for Oklahoma moving forward. Yeah, um, you're right. Things look to be trending in a very positive direction for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail. Uh, another name that, uh, okay, so I'm going to be dropping my weekend recruiting stuff this weekend, uh, this weekend, obviously this weekend, uh, later on this evening, um, had some things come up obviously with this podcast and stuff like that and wanted to wait on a few things before I dropped it. Uh, but there's a 2022 name that people need to familiarize themselves with when it comes to OU recruiting, uh, also from the DMV. And people, Will Johnson is a key factor here. I'll leave it at that. But Derek Moore, uh, the 2022 defense alignment, uh, I think he's a five-star if I remember right. Is he a five-star? I believe he's a five-star. No, I got to look this up real quick. Uh, but uh, he is from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. Uh he is a four-star, but he is the number 42 overall player in the country. We're going to have a nice little piece on him, where Oklahoma stands, uh, and several other. I'm going to give you who I would put in crystal balls for right now 
that I don't have in as far as 2021, 2022, 2023, and also break down this week's good news to come, uh, potential good news to come. I'll leave it at that in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, uh, you might want to get a hold of that. If you're not an OU Insider member, Colin has been dropping the goods on the basketball, helping me out a lot with team notes and, uh, recruiting notes in general. Um, I've had a ton of recruiting like source notes. We have suspension news. We have opt out news or potential opt opting back in news on OU Insider right now. We have all that stuff and it's 60% off. 60% 60% off. So you can get it right now for $42, get a whole year. And it's regularly priced at almost $120 a year. So you're getting, that's a hell of a deal and it ends a Sunday. Not only that, we do giveaways every month where we give away two tickets. Potentially you get to choose. Like we do a drawing first 50 guys to comment on the drawing and they get to choose between going to a football game with, Colin and myself, uh, we will es- not escort you. That sounds really bad. We will <laughs> escort you. We will go with you to a game or you can go out to dinner, out to lunch with us, talk OU insider news with us, but you have to be obviously be a VIP member to do this. Or you can get an extended version of the six, six months on your uh, membership for free, or you can choose a $100 gift card to whatever you like, uh, whatever store you want to go to as long as it's not you know, bad. Uh, so, uh, that, that, I think that's a hell of a deal. The things that we provide obviously on top of all the recruiting news, the team news, the basketball news that Colin brings freaking every day. I mean, the guy's on it every day. So then you have Joey, you have RJ, Joey Helmer, RJ Young, uh, bringing their stuff every day as well. The, it's a great staff. It's a big site. Um, we've grown by the thousands and thousands over the last two and a half years and it has been fun. Colin is an amazing guy to work with. Uh, so, and we do chats every week. We do chats. He does a mailbag. He does stuff. I mean, we do a lot of things that you guys can ask questions, start your own threads. It's a fun board. It is a fun board. I'll leave it at that, but 60% off Sunday night it ends and you're going to want to get on top of that before all this good news stuff, be the guy in the know when it comes to Oklahoma Sooners football and just, we're probably the most personable people on the beat by far uh, as far as talking and doing that type of stuff with the fan base. I, I enjoy it no matter what y'all say about me or us or anything. I just enjoy talking to y'all and having a good time and doing what we can. I mean, it, it's fun. So um, with that being said, lastly, 60% off $42 gets you nearly $120 in value or $1 for the first month, $9.95 the rest of the time. Uh, but Colin, give me your prediction on the game. Not prediction. We've already done that. But give me your score. I'm going to go 52-21. I think K-State's going to get off to a strong start like I mentioned. It's just strange. Like Both teams are kind of in a weird spot right now. They're developing towards the future. And so I think in the now, this is going to be a game that OU may get caught on its heels a little bit because the quality of opponent was terrible the first time around, and Kansas State's going to have a little bit of a chip on its shoulder to prove itself after that lost Arkansas State. But I think once Spencer Rattler settles in and he figures out what new defensive coordinator Joe Klanderman is doing, 
Lincoln Riley's going to dial it up, and OU's offense is going to start cruising the second half. So I've got 52-21, which means an Oklahoma cover there for all you betters at home. Wow. Okay. Uh, I am going to say 55-13. I am higher on this Oklahoma defense than I've been on any OU defense in a while. And I don't know what it is. I know they played a crappy, crappy Missouri State team the week before, and that's not a slight towards them. That just wasn't fair. Uh, Oklahoma's Oklahoma and Missouri State's an FCS program. That is Missouri State. Um, Obviously, that was a rhetoric. That was was just the most literal, redundant thing I've said in a while. But uh, I think what I said, 55-10-13, is that what I said? Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I just have a feeling that the depth and the confidence, you can kind of see it when you're talking to the guys during the interviews that they just feel more comfortable. And, you know, last year when they answer, it's like they almost didn't believe what they were saying. But this year, outside of maybe Kenneth Murray or Neville Gallimore, a lot of the guys had some hesitation in their voice. There's a confidence about these guys. There's a, uh, not, I want to say cocky, but a, uh, I guess I can say there's some cockiness in the voice of some of these defensive guys now. And it's kind of refreshing to see because it's been a while since that's been going on at OU. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm higher on them. And obviously with the COVID issues um, with K-State, I think that's going to play a massive role here. Uh, and I also feel like Spencer Rattler, he just has something special. I don't know. I think he – I don't think he's going – I'm trying to word this correctly because it just sounds crazy when you say it. I think he has a chance to be one of the best ever at OU. Uh, is, that, is that something crazy? Is that crazy to say considering the talent he has? I mean, there is a lot of really good quarterbacks that came out. I mean, the last three were pretty freaking good at Oklahoma. Uh, but I think he has a chance to be in that category. And obviously it's been one game against the FCS program – but from what we have seen of him uh, dating back in high school and then what we've heard of him through sources, is that crazy? Is that crazy for me to think that he could be one of the more better guys to ever come out of Oklahoma? He has yeah. the potential. I, I'm saying potentially. I'm not well, saying he's going to. Potentially. I think right now it's hard to really establish that. Oh, yeah, it is. The, the big thing here is – It's my hot take, bro. Yeah, I, 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 I see what you're doing. but I, I really agree with what Barton Simmons said a while back. And Barton noted the fact that, hey, you know, Spencer Rattler's a really good football player. Some of the guys in the rankings committee felt like he may not have been the number one overall quarterback in a few other recruiting classes. But at the same time, Barton's assessment was that Spencer Rattler may have the best pure arm talent that Lincoln Riley has ever had at OU. And I think when asked a similar question by the great Tim Fitzgerald, who I really appreciate joining us in this preview of OU versus K-State, he essentially asked me, hey, is Spencer Rattler going to be one of the best ever to do it? I said, right now, I can't say that he will be, but I do think he has way better arm talent than Jalen Hurts. And I do think he can be up there with Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. To me, Kyler Murray was the best overall quarterback Lincoln Riley had, and I don't think it's close. But for me, Spencer Rattler could be in that upper echelon and easily surpass some of those guys mentioned. He can put 
the mental standpoint together with his natural arm talent. And I think it's only a matter of time. We just have to see it unfold before our eyes. That, that, that right there, what you said about Kyler being not even close with Baker, I, I like as far, cause when you look at their careers, that's there's center some center fans heads are going to explode. I yeah, stand by the take, man. No, I mean, no, no. And I, I, I am not going to fault you on that take because yeah. there is proof in the pudding and what he's doing in the NFL right now. Now, granted, He's in the scheme that fits for him, number one. Number two, he's not in Cleveland. <laughs> I think that has everything. When you're in Cleveland, things tend to get a little bit worse than they probably are. And then people need to give Baker credit for a, a, a franchise that didn't win a single game in two years, and he goes in and wins sixth as a starter during his first year. What? Did, how many did they win last year? Five, six again? Is that what they were? It wasn't great. It wasn't great. No, but... it wasn't great, but it was Cleveland. I mean, that's what people need to understand. It's Cleveland, and he is winning some games, not a lot, but he's winning some games in Cleveland. He just needs to get the hell out of there when he gets a chance to, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Just get the hell out when you can. And I think he will. I think he'll be gone. He'll be giving the deuces whenever, just like we're about to do, is give the deuces on this podcast. So, uh, the deuces right now because it's been a long, it has been a long podcast. But I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, make sure you sign up for OUinsider.com, 60% off right now, $42 gets you nearly $122 in value of team recruiting, VIP, insider, basketball, Colin, RJ, myself, Joey, every stinking day bringing you the goods when it comes to OU sports, athletics, and recruiting uh, on OUinsider.com VIP. Um, want to thank Tim Fitzgerald, Ryan Wallace from GoPowerCat.com for joining us. And Colin, thank you for being on here with us. Uh, hope you all enjoy it. And we will see you all on the post-game podcast tomorrow afternoon. See y'all later.